there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account, and let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and review or share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in to season two of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life. Today is a very exciting episode for me. I was thrilled to be able to talk to my two guests today. Um, I read the book recently, um, I Have Been Buried Under Years of Dust, written by Valerie um, Gilpier and her daughter, Emily. Emily is uh, nonverbal, but she uses typing to communicate. So all of her sections of the book were typed out, and she also writes beautiful poetry that's included in the book as well. So when I had the opportunity to interview them for the podcast, I jumped at the chance because most of you know my son Skylar is 18 and is also pre-verbal. We're not to the typing stage yet, but we have been spelling and seen some slow um, successes with that. So I loved being able to talk to Emily, ask her a bunch of questions, um, and I wish you could see the video of our conversation because every time she typed, she was smiling and was excited to answer my questions. Um, So a little bit of background about Valerie and Emily. Valerie is an attorney who has been practicing law for 40 years. She shifted her civil law practice 20 years ago in favor of representing families of disabled children trying to obtain educational services from local school districts. Valerie has continued to focus on disability rights law through her volunteer work with several nonprofit organizations in the Los Angeles area. Valerie and Emily live with Tom, Valerie's husband and Emily's dad, in Encino, California. Emily currently is a college student studying journalism, psychology, and creative writing, and has been recognized for her academic achievement. She has been featured in Leaders Around Me and published in Amuse Bouche. Emily is an advocate for herself and members of her community in an effort to dispel the misconceptions and non-acceptance of those with autism. So as I stated, this is one of my favorite episodes uh, to date, and I just love getting the perspective from um, an autistic adult to help me (laughs) know that I am on the right path with Skylar or things that I should change. I'm always open to to listening to to adults um, on the spectrum directly. So please enjoy my conversation with both Valerie and Emily. So I'm excited uh, for another episode of Living the Sky Life. I'm joined with Valerie and Emily. We're going to do a um, a three-person episode today. Um, I was introduced to Valerie actually with some of my other podcasting friends, and everybody said, you've got to read her book because there are so many similarities from the things that I've mentioned with my son, Skylar. Um, and so I'm so excited to welcome you guys to the podcast. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm going to start with Valerie and I'm going to ask you just, you know, just a few questions really about the background of Emily and her autism diagnosis. She is 26 now. 
She's 29. 29. Oh my gosh. I lost between the book ages and now I've lost track. Okay. okay. So she is 29. Um, so obviously I'm not going to ask you to go all the way back because the book covers a lot of that. Um, but just ultimately what led you guys to seeking um, a diagnosis for Emily of some kind? Oh, well, that's easy. Um, well, Emily was really a, a very, a, I mean, developing absolutely typically until mm -hmm. she hit about 18 months and it happened to coincide with a trip to Florida. And then we began to notice that she wasn't quite making the same level of eye contact. She wasn't as engaged, she didn't want to be as involved with other people. And so it really culminated on her second birthday when I felt that she wasn't even really understanding what I was saying to her any longer. So her birthday is in October and her physical annual was due at the same time. So um, her, first, her second, her, it, it, so we just decided that we would go and, and go to the pediatrician, do the, you know, do the annual and express some of our concerns. So um, that's what happened. So during that that meeting with the pediatrician, he said, you know, there's somebody across the hall at uh, Children's Hospital who might, you know, who might be able to assist you. Uh, let's see if we can get you in. And it happened that that person could take us in that very day. So that's what happened really, is that we just saw a bit of a decline after 18 months. And we couldn't quite figure out if it was due to something that happened in Florida um, or if it was, um, you know, just sort of came on. Looking back on it, I think that we saw the, some signs of regression uh, earlier than that, mm -hmm. but uh, we ignored them. We just figured it was just part of a, a developmental process. Uh, mm -hmm. But by two years old, it was, it just became too difficult to ignore any longer. And when you officially, you talk about in the book, you just kind of the prolonged word autism entering your lives. Um, and then once it did, you kind of just kept it to yourself a little bit. And then as you started sharing with family and friends, um, it just became more isolating that you guys just kind of realized people were like, oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. And then they just kind of move on with their lives. Um, we experienced the exact same thing. So has that gotten better in a way as as Emily has aged um, and and now that she's able to communicate a little bit are people coming around or are they you kind of just well, set your set core of well age? times have changed times have changed I mean uh -huh. we, you know we're, we're a quarter of a century later and there isn't the stigma associated with having a disability there was in fact I would say some people use it as a badge of honor um, <laughs> yeah. I don't believe that but you know nonetheless I do believe that um, attitudes have changed. I mean, all of a sudden, there's so much on television, mainstream corporations are touting uh, assisting individuals, individuals with autism. But at the time, it wasn't that I was disgraced by it. It was just that yeah. I knew the perception of it would um, not be well received. And in fact, our friends just didn't know what to do with it about it. And, you know, I also really did not particularly want to uh, violate Emily's sense of privacy by going into too many of the specifics of what exactly was going on with us. Uh, family knew, family knew, but friends not so much. And um, as things became difficult for Emily, um, there was a ten our tendency to want to protect her and not share. So I guess in part we were responsible, but I don't think the world was ready for it. Mm -hmm. I don't think the world was ready for it at all. And I, I wanted to, you know, to protect my daughter. Absolutely. We did. I mean, now, I mean, it was really with Emily's permission that we wrote this book, uh, because obviously it's delving into some of the early things and things which, you know, when she recalls them, sometimes are a matter of, of um, distress to her. 
but you know you, you do what you have to do and you have to you have to sort of take the temperature of the times also and that's what was going on i do believe that the people at school especially other parents um in elementary school were completely distressed by the concept of any kind of disability and i saw that which made zero sense to me because these were people in by large in large part that were, were educated educated people um, and that was an interesting thing about Emily's early childhood experience and, and elementary experience is that the reception that she got from people um, who were um, not as uh, educated or in the same economic group um, were were far greater. I mean, she we had students that were bused in from South Central Los Angeles to Emily's school, and those kids were fabulous uh -huh. with Emily. It was like they she had a sense that there was a shared a shared, um, you know, a sense of, of understanding what it is to have challenges in one's life, whereas the people in our neighborhood did not. Right. Um, and it was an ongoing issue for me. It really was. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure that that's, well, I know just from reading in your book that that led you to changing kind of your focus for your law practice to, you know, help families with IEPs and You've done so much for the autism community just with your legislation efforts and just everything that you've been doing. So thank you from me as a fellow <laughs> autism parent. But um, was it that those experiences that you had within the school systems early that kind of, of course, pointed out to you that there is some serious deficiencies in our system for education for people with disabilities? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, by the time Emily entered the system, autism was a recognized disability under the IDEA, but that right. didn't mean that anybody was paying much attention to that, you right. know, I mean, yeah. and the, the pushback was enormous and the harder I pushed them, the more they pushed back. Um, but it was something that had to be done. I mean, she was entitled to not be treated like a third class citizen, which is okay. essentially what they were trying to do. And I wasn't actually entitled to not be treated um, in the way that I was being treated, the way my husband and I are being treated. So, you know, they didn't get, they didn't get an inch with us. I mean, we pushed and pushed. And um, as far as my involvement with representing kids with disabilities, I mean, a lot of that came from the fact that, you know, a cottage industry started to emerge about, you know, about when Emily was about 12, 13 years old, where all of a sudden people were getting on a, an autism bandwagon and every so-called professional had something to say. And having experienced it, you know, firsthand, I knew a lot of it was garbage. So it was kind of like, you know, I really felt that I wanted to have a voice in the process as well. And I do think it was helpful to the parents that I represented that I had been there, done that, and had the experience. I mean, no one understands what it is like to live 24 seven with an individual who has autism and behaviors and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, even the lawyers I worked with who were remarkable lawyers, they weren't experiencing on the same level that I was. So, you know, it's a whole different thing to be immersed versus being an observer. Yeah. That's all there is. It just makes it so much more personal yeah. when you can speak exactly to what the needs of families probably are. Well, as I mentioned in the beginning, um, you came out with your uh, memoir in April of this year, and it actually launched on my son's birthday, which I was like, mm -hmm. that's another sign. <laughs> <laughs> I need to read it. Um, but it's a phenomenal book um, that written by you and Emily both um, called I Have Been Buried Under Years of Dust. A memoir of autism and hope. It is phenomenal. Um, one of the things 
one of the many things that I found myself nodding along to um, was your conversation throughout the book about behaviors. And Emily, I'm going to definitely um, talk to you specifically since we're talking about you. Um, but I love how you gave the um, illustration of the behaviors between Emily and you and your husband and how much of a frustration that is to not know what it is she's feeling, what she needs, what she wants to say and all of that. And, and I know it was equally as frustrating for Emily to not be able to express those things. Um, it's so hard with nonverbal children and adults um, on a marriage and on a family because we kind of go at each other because we are just stressed out, exhausted, all of those things. Did you guys experience some of that? Two between your oh, husband and you. <laughs> it's like, that's pretty well detailed in the book what happened. In yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna leave the read. I'm gonna leave leave your listeners in suspense a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Yes. There was obviously there was <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> a level of of distress and a little mm -hmm. bit of disconnect and differencing difference in attitudes, an attitude towards how to approach certain things. But mm -hmm. One would expect that. I mean, we're not the same person. You know, we, we look at things differently. And uh, um, yeah, some people would say I was a little heavy handed about stuff. But you know what? I felt that um, somebody had to make a decision and yeah. it was it was going to be me. And I was living most of the inner the daily interaction. I mean, between splitting myself between a law practice and picking Emily up from school and overseeing the IEP situation and interacting with aides and everybody else. It was kind of like, I felt like I had a really good picture of everything that was going on more overall, although I did report everything to my husband. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's still nothing like experiencing it and feeling that added stress. Yeah. So yeah, there were, there were issues. Yeah. Were well, issues. You guys are going to, your, your listeners are going to have to read the book. <laughs> they are going to have to read the book because it's worth it. Um, <laughs> did, did the behaviors um, that Emily exhibited change over the time as she aged? Um, did it start out as, I guess I just, I asked because Skylar's were the same, but he was little. So it didn't, it didn't affect us as much. Like he's a hair puller. He's a slapper. Um, he hits us a lot. He bangs on walls, bangs on counters, bang, just bangs. And obviously as he's gotten older, it's gotten harder and it hurts more, but I feel like it's ramping up too, because he's now 18. So he's had 18 years of not being able to explain to us if he doesn't feel good, if he's hungry, if he's tired, just any of those things. And so I would imagine that a lot of the behaviors intensified because of that frustration level. Um, did you see things change? Did she develop new behaviors? Um, Emily's behaviors were, um, there was initially just a lot of screaming and stuff. It was mostly screaming. And then as she got older, and the frustration, I think, at greater, we, we, she engaged in some self-injurious behaviors, which she had not had earlier. Um, and of course, that, that continued, which is what led to the, the incident at um, UCLA. So mm -hmm. again, yeah, there was a certain ramping up of behaviors, which we really pretty much detailed. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, as children, people get bigger and stronger, they're going to be more intense. Um, and they can, you know, certainly the behaviors can change. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was a, a little, there was a little bit of a change for her. Well, however, I, all of that, oh, however, I will say that since the communication that's gone way down, I mean, yeah. you could peak it and then you could go down into a hill. It's kind of, if you look at a, 
you know, a chart, it just, if you graph it, it's just way down to nothing now. It really is. I mean, the communication has been absolutely the key for Emily. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing we focus on is not what happened in the past, but what we are looking at in the present and the future. And she does too. I mean, that tends to be my attitude. And Emily has absorbed that in many ways because there's no reason to deal with the with what went on in the past anymore. You know, it's, her her breakthrough has been extraordinary, and you know I want everybody to understand how important communication is. I mean, you cannot you cannot stress enough the value of being able to communicate in whatever form that is. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully it's in in a positive form and in a way that that lets people get a, an an insight into who you are and what you want. But yeah. it's so important. It is important. It just really is. That's a beautiful segue to Emily. Um, and Emily, I so appreciate um, you working with your communication partner to um, type out your responses. Um, I know listeners cannot see the video, but Emily is typing all of her own answers. She is answering the questions on her own. Um, so Emily, um, you know, there's so many things I loved about everything you said in the book. Um, but as a mom to um, a young adult who cannot speak and communicate at this point yet um, with his letter boards and with other things. Uh, It's been so eye-opening for you to explain in the book um, just about your feelings and your frustrations. And now that you're able to express to everyone around you what all of that meant to the best of your ability to explain it. So um, I wanted to start by asking you, you know, you had said in the book that you were often sad, thinking that you were not living up to your parents' expectations. Um, it, like you wanted to speak and it just was very frustrating for you that you weren't able to do that. Um, so because you couldn't fulfill their their wish to communicate, can you explain what it feels like now that you're able to talk to them through your um, facilitated communication? typing method, just what it feels like to be able to communicate, I guess. It is incredible. It has completely changed our relationship for the better. Oh, I love that. And I'm sure, Valerie, you've heard all of these things so many times, but gosh, it just, I mean, it's so emotional for me to watch Emily type and just explain all that she knows. I think the biggest thing, Emily, that I've learned from my son just starting spelling to communicate is there's so much that he knows about current events, about the election, about everything that was happening. He's spelling all of these things. And it's mind blowing because we, as parents, we have no idea what you're absorbing because you've had no way to explain that to us. So to know that you um, were in college, did you finish, have you finished college or are you in graduate school? <laughs> Knowing you, you're probably still getting more and more degrees, right? <laughs> I am slowly picking away at my classes. And what is your major in? I can't remember. I think you said it in the book, but I don't remember. Or what's your focus of study? I am either doing English or journalism. Oh, that's awesome. Your poetry is beautiful. So I think both of those are great (laughs) options for you. Um, And if I just may add, Emily has done nine, I mean, just to toot her horn for her because she doesn't often do it herself. I mean, it's she's picking away, but yeah, she's done nine academic classes during lockdown. 
online. So she's made a huge dent towards the progress, and she's about ready to leave the junior college level and move on to a four-year to finish up. So That's so fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, we're very that. proud of I'm very proud of Emily. Very oh. proud. Yeah, and I imagine it's a little bit harder to type all of your stuff, and it takes you a lot longer. So what, what a tremendous accomplishment. So congrats on that. Um, you know, something else, Emily, that you mentioned in the book um, was just about your body and um, all the information that was coming in <laughs> throughout your life and how difficult it was to process all of that. And it wasn't that you didn't want to um, respond or didn't want to learn some of the therapies maybe that you tried, um, but it was just so hard to process all of that. Can you kind of explain, um, I guess, what it feels like to be buried under years of dust and trapped, like your voice is trapped or your mind is trapped? Is it is it both or is it more your voice that you felt was trapped inside of you? Does that make sense that I ask a good question? <laughs> That is a great question. I would say, Mama, that it was my voice, but typing helped expand my thoughts. That's great. I love watching you type because you're always smiling. You have such a beautiful smile, and I can see how excited you are to be able to share your thoughts, and I, I just, it's so sweet. Um, <laughs> Valerie, I just kind of want to um, shift to you two for a second. You know, just in watching Emily type and um, just from reading the book, I noticed her communication partner does have her hand on her shoulder. And you explain a lot of that in the book, which the reader can um, can read for themselves. But um, I, I know that you also mentioned that typing started out, obviously it was harder and slower with the body movements. Um, that's one of the things I think that has delayed um, Skylar, my son's progress a little bit on the letter boards and then moving ahead to typing is his motor um, planning has always been very delayed. So the therapist has explained to me that um, coordinating his eyes and lifting his arm and pointing his finger to do all of those things at the same time is a little bit overwhelming for his body and to just focus on all of that. So um, obviously Emily has come a, quite a long way, but did did she start out with letter boards or maybe Emily, you can answer this. Did you spell at all or did you, did you just go right to typing from, from the beginning? I was on the printed one for a small time, but mostly iPad. Gotcha. That, that, that's very accurate. The, um, the whole thing about motor coordination was an interesting thing because when we first started approaching this and I talked to some professionals who I, I referred to in the book, they all thought that Emily needed to do this whole uh, protocol of, um, you know, getting her body in, under control. The fact is that Emily's body always was under control. I mean, she was, her gross motor, first of all, her gross motor skills were unbelievable. I mean, there wasn't a bike, a tricycle, a skateboard, and anything on wheels that she could not master. That's she was right. really coordinated. And she also was really good at following physical, uh, you know, following directions, like exercise directions and that sort of thing. 
fine motor was a more of a challenge for her, but coordination, not so much. And so we only stayed with that whole thing for just a short time because I didn't think it was going anywhere. But the concept is, is that your core needs to be somehow. And I think core exercises, I mean, I have to tell you Pilates, that sort of thing are probably good. <laughs> and we do that every morning. I mean, we are now, for, since in the past year, the three of us do core exercises every single morning. And, it, and Emily's speed at typing has really picked up. Now, I don't know if there's a correlation or just that she's now been typing. She just had her five-year anniversary of typing on August 6th, which I forgot to commemorate in the appropriate celebratory fashion, but I will do it now. <laughs> <laughs> but it was five years. And so she has picked up speed enormously. So I do think that there's a sense that you do have to coordinate. I remember the central nervous system is impacted in all ways, you know, physically um, in processing and that sort of thing. But for her, um, I think she was probably more advanced physically than a lot of people. I mean, she just, and that's something we talk about that I addressed because she was initially, when she was very small, um, diagnosed as having, being hypotonic, hypotonic, I think I it was, hypotonic, which, yeah, yeah, which, which is what, you know, very kind of, you know, muscles that weren't, and which is why I took her to the park every single day mm -hmm. to start getting those muscles, you know, exercise. So, I think it was a lifetime thing, but she, but you know, it, it, it also is the sensory stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on sometimes which distracts, but anyway, that was what we were, we were told to do was to do the, all these core exercises and what the woman did for the time we were there was mostly things like, you know, sitting on the balls, the, the bouncy balls, um, and, you know, doing ex up and down exercises kind of on them and sit-ups and that sort of stuff. So um but she didn't she was on the, the letter board for an extremely short period of time and initially lindsay who we worked with her would just um if emily got stuck on a word she might whip it out really careful really quickly and then put it away but it was it, it lasted very a very short time for her well i would think too that a huge part of the success with typing or spelling or any of the things is your communication partner or your therapist and whoever is working with you um, I, I think you reference in the book a, a few times with other therapies and with typing that it, it just had to be the right person for her to want to connect with them and to, to do it. Um, and I think that's the challenge maybe we're having to, and maybe your communication partner can weigh in on it too, but, um, being a mom and the therapist and a teacher and all the things doesn't really work very well. I'm sure that Skylar might do better if his therapist lives in our state but we can only do with Zoom with her. So it's a little bit more of a challenge because he doesn't want to do therapy with me. <laughs> he wants to just me to be mom. And um, yeah. so I think it's a little bit of a challenge with that too. But did Emily have so certain Emily, therapies that she liked or? Emily types, types with a lot of different people. I mean, oh, and, and, I mean, she types with, I don't know, maybe she's typed with 10, 15 different people, um, but not with us because it's too emotional. Interesting. She won't type with us quite yet. We're working on it. She yeah. tells us we need more practice. So right now we need more practice. Mom and dad yeah. need more practice. Um, but uh, yeah, she, she, and she does, I think that again with Emily, uh, one of the things I point out is that Emily does something when she decides she's going to do it. And I know that when she decides she's going to type with us, she will do it. And Skylar's probably the same way, you know, he'll type with other people, and maybe, I don't know if you've introduced other people into his life to try and type with them, but we just had people that were very kind of random, you know, who would come into our life. And, you know, the the girlfriend of one of my cousin's 
my sons, you know, walked into our life one day and we sat her down and she started typing with her. I mean, it, it just sort of happened. And I, I do think a person has to come with a certain level of uh, peace and quietness and calm in their own being. I think that's the thing. A person, our kids sense who's chaotic around them. Mm-hmm. And that's, you can't be chaotic with these, with our kids. You can't be chaotic because they pick up on that energy. Yeah. Um, even if you're not ex- being expressively chaotic and inter- internal chaos is yeah. very, They've got they've got a barometer. I don't know how they do it, but they know internal chaos. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, and that kind of brings me to my next question for you, Emily, is that um, again with spelling and communicating, my therapist for Skylar always reminds me like it's his he can't control his body. So he may stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. And when I'm reading, he's wandering around the room and she's like, he is listening. He is paying attention to everything that you're reading about and that you're saying um, to then be able to spell what you ask him to spell. Um, It's just really hard for someone else to observe that and not think that he's not interested or if he hits me while we're spelling, he smacks me or pulls my hair or whatever. It's hard to not get upset. And, you know, say, why are you, you know, why are you hitting me? I'm trying to help you. And she just keeps saying, you know, he's not, it's, he's, it's not on purpose. He doesn't mean to hit you and he doesn't mean to hurt you. Um, Can you kind of explain some of the times that maybe you've hurt your parents on accident um, just because you were frustrated? Um, Can you validate for me, I guess, that (laughs) maybe Skylar isn't trying to be mean to me that he, it's, it's not his fault that he's you know, acting out. Well, the thing that is true for me is that I put this pressure to be perfect. And with my mom, I always ask her to leave because our parents, we want to make them proud and that can create stress. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Anything else? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I knew she was going to tell it to me, honestly. I just, it's it's hard to be patient because I want, I want so badly to talk to him. I want to know what he thinks. I want to know what he feels. I want to know what he loves and, you know, just all the things. And, um, you know, the book does such a great job of explaining the scenario with the breakthrough with Emily. Um, But I wanted to ask both of you, I, I know that she did other therapies in the past and I won't get into, you know, the significance of those and debate those because that's a, an ongoing thing on social media and stuff. But um, why do you think, Valerie, I guess that some of those other earlier therapies didn't resonate with her? You touched on it a little bit in the book, but um, you know, is there something that you've thought about that why this connected with her when nothing else did? Um, but this, but, what the typing did, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, and some earlier that. stuff didn't. Well, uh, boy, I, I think, I think the reason is, is that Emily has expressed it enough that it made no sense to her. It just, right. she didn't know what, she didn't understand why they were asking her to these, do these things. These just, you know, I think you're referring probably to the behavioral stuff. And I think that mm-hmm. it, it was, I think it just didn't make any sense to her. I mean, right. so many things that don't make sense to her. She just walks past. I mean, I'll give you a really cute example, if I may, really quick. When, sure. Emily was, when Emily was about four or five, we took her, I love this story. And Stephanie has heard this story many times. We took her to a, um, we took her to a um, miniature golfing place in, in, in Palm Springs. So my husband's very patiently showing Emily how you take the ball, you put it up down, you take the club, you hit it. She was very young, hit it, 
So this one happened, we, she went through this for a couple of holes. Finally, she gets to like the fourth or fifth hole. She looks at us, she picks up the ball and walks it over to the hole and puts it in the hole. As if to say, <laughs> why are we doing this? If the object is to put the, hole, the ball in the hole, why are we doing this stupid exercise? And Very literal. <laughs> that spoke yeah. volumes of Emily. It was like, yeah. let's just get to the point here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, I, totally I used to stupid, wonder. It's a totally stupid game. So yeah. I think that, yep. that really, I, and I always love that. And to me, that's a metaphor for Emily's life. It's just, let's just get to the point. Um, it should be a metaphor for all of us, really. <laughs> so I think that I think that it didn't make sense to her. I mean, she recalls also an incident at a party, a, a party where kids were required to go through a maze and all the parents were clapping and thinking this was so great. And she, did, she just didn't want to do it. She said, I didn't see any reason to do it. And so she didn't do it. So I think that that's a large part of it um, is that there was no point. And I think Emily was too smart. I don't think people understood how smart Emily was then. I knew she was very smart. Um, I didn't, I mean, it was masked a lot by the behaviors and the so-called non-compliance. You know, right. over the years, I think I've explained in the book, I began to realize non-compliance was just a really evidence of a matter of choosing things that she preferred over others. Um, unfortunately, she was put into this basket of kids who were non-compliant and we had to break the compliances. I mean, that's what that's all about is really breaking, it's just breaking um, bad behaviors. I do think that there are certain good things about some of those behaviors. I mean, I, I mean, some of those interventions, um, but I would say overall, that was probably why it did, wasn't as successful as it might have been for other kids and has been for other kids. She's just a personality who says, you know, I, I want to get from here to there as quickly as possible. You know, the sh shortest distance between two points is a straight line, and that's what she was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, again, as, as parents of non-verbal or non-communicating, um, you know, children or young adults, it's so hard because, you know, I've definitely put Skylar in therapies where I'm thinking, this is it, this is the one, or we've used pets and we've used this and we've used that. And he just seems like just completely not engaged, doesn't really, he's not interested in proloquo. He's not interested in all of those things. And I think to myself, like, you know, is it the voice that's on there that he's like, this is dumb. You know, I, I don't want to point at a picture of macaroni and cheese. I just want to be able to spell it to you or tell you a different way. I don't want to ju make things juvenile for him as an 18 year old, but I just, I don't know what, maybe what questions to ask him. And, um, I yeah, don't know. I think, I think that when, when Emily was young, people used to say in, 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 uh, in occupational therapy, follow their lead. And I used to say, what are you talking about? If you follow her lead, she's going to be spinning in circles, you know? So I'm not planning on following her lead. Thank you very much. I mean, let's lead her somewhere else. And I think that, you know, you really do have to listen to the child, though, in many respects, looking back on it. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say spin because she's spinning, but I think that he's telling you what he wants. And, you know, maybe a better way is for him to put it on his board, you know, that he wants macaroni and cheese and show you the box or should give you or, or teach him right. to do these things. I mean, I think you have to there's a certain amount of agency which has to be uh, given to our, our our people, you know, to our kids. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that letting go and letting them make the decisions and sitting them out if necessary, you know, um, not trying to overthink it. Um, I've learned a lot from Emily in this process. I mean, she is very, very capable and, I, and, and very incredibly capable. And I think, I suspect that Skylar, like Emily, is a very quick learner. And I think you mm -hmm. have to just let them, let them, let them learn and let, it, let them show us. I really do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
I mean, I continue to be amazed by how you said earlier how much Scholar knows about current events and the things that Emily writes now about current events and about people and about me um, are amazing. The things her insight uh, into us, it's especially into me, is amazing. So, um, yeah, I think yeah, you gotta let him, give her give him a bit of a leash. I think give mm -hmm. him a bit of a leash. Yeah, I mean, I, it's clear that they've spent their lives observing. Yeah, and just were waiting for their moment to yeah let it all out. <laughs> yeah, he will. He'll get so, there, but he's got to yeah. get there when he's ready to get there, and it can't be when we're ready for them. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. that's what I think I've learned from Emily is that, you know, these profound these profound thoughts that she has and the recollections that she has and her extraordinary ability, which is it really is extraordinary. I mean, Emily is a natural storyteller in many ways, in ways that professional writers are, are astounded by. I mean, she just is a, is a really good storyteller. I mean, it isn't, this isn't just communication for Emily, this is storytelling and she's just yeah. an exceptional writer, an exceptional writer. Yeah, um, so I think that, but she got there when she got there. And I think that we have to respect that, that everybody's got their own trajectory, something we know, uh, mm -hmm. but we want to hurry it along because we're impatient. Yeah, we're impatient. oh, definitely. But remember, it's a, it's a lifetime. We're talking about a yeah. lifetime. Yeah, and I think has the, um, the communication also given you um, a different picture of the future of independence for Emily? I mean, is there... <laughs> there's still things that concern you about just later in life and, and living on her own and being on her own or well, I, I think um, that, I think that you know I think everybody needs support everybody needs a level of support in their lives I think that we all do I mean I live with my husband I mean he helps me when I'm <laughs> you know he helps me when I'm not able I don't think I think the notion that our kids should be living independently is is ridiculous right. you know yeah. I don't think that anybody lives independently and our, our right. kids know less than anybody else so I mean, I think that the um, yeah. So I think I think it will. I think she will live more independently. I mean, she does live independently and more independently than she did before. I mean, she makes her decisions about what she's going to do for her day. I don't, um, which is a sense as force a form of independence. Sure. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think everybody's interdependent. And I you know this concept that people create this visual that our kids are going to all live in apartments and navigate. <laughs> public transportation and, you know, yeah. dealing with oh. a pharmacist at, F at a CVS who doesn't get their prescription correct. And I mean, come on, it's not going to happen. I don't even like dealing with that stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there you have it. Yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather do it as long as I can for him. Um, well, Emily, I already uh, asked you about college um, and that part. Um, and, you know, your poetry, like I said, is incredible. Um, is there something that for all the listeners that you would like to share, maybe some of the misconceptions about autism, specifically nonverbal autism? Is there something you want to tell everybody from, you know, from your perspective that we're getting wrong? <laughs> There's a lot, so this might be a lengthy essay. <laughs> I would just say that there should at least be a base assumption that we are listening and understanding and aware. That's perfect. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know that I know that you are. I know that you all are listening to us. And, um, you know, I, I've been a firm believer even since Skylar was little. I never allowed conversations about him to be in front of him unless we were engaging him and asking him for his opinion, even though he couldn't really share it with us. Um, nothing frustrates me more. And I can only imagine how it would feel to you if someone was talking about how you're unable to do this or unable to do that. 
in front of you. Um, I'm sure that would send your frustration. She she does overboard. share she does share an, an incident in the book. So mm -hmm. if yes. you're listening, should should watch for that one as well. Yes. It's just horrible. Yep. Um, well, Valerie, <laughs> I mean, obviously you've done so much advocacy and um this book is a must read for all families. Um, but especially for the nonverbal families who maybe have um kind of given up hope or feel lost. Is there any advice or just feedback you could share with parents? Um, you know, because you're a little bit further ahead than probably a lot of families. Um, if they just don't feel that they're able to connect with their child um, at this point, and it feels like hope is lost, because I've been there and I just kind of feel like that sometimes, but I'm revived every time he picks up a different way to communicate to me. So, well, I mean, I think that, that that we all have to recognize that there is no finish line with our with our kids. You know, it, yes. we don't have that option of saying they reach 18 and then we send them off to college and that's the end of our intervention. Um, I think that it is hard for people to continue to provide services and to keep up that hope. But I think Emily is a good example of what can be done if and what, and what kind of outcome one could possibly have if you keep at it. And remember that, you know, it, it, this all falls under the category of develop, developmental delay. So our kids are going to get places not in the same trajectory as a neurotypical individual would. Um, and they, but they have their strengths. They have their their uh, aspects of their personality that many individuals don't have. They have do things that many other individuals don't, um, who are neurotypical. So I think if a person can just hang in there and really take the cues and keep your eyes open to possibilities of other interventions. I mean, Emily didn't get to come to this point until she was 25 years old, but it has changed her life upside down. And her mm -hmm. life will be from this point forward so much more incredible than the first 25 years of her life was. So that's what I'm so hopeful people will take away from this book and understand to keep at it if you can. And I know it's hard. I mean, there are plenty of times when I just, I would say, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And then I would go, you know, lick my wounds and calm down and start over again. And I think that's what we have to do. If we have, we love our kids and we want mm -hmm. them to be successful. And um, all you can do is keep trying, keep trying. And I, I do believe that with lots of love and lots of encouragement, um, there can be improvement made in our, in our kids' lives. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the book again is called I Have Been Buried Under Years of Dust, a memoir of autism and hope. It's available on Amazon, anywhere else that they can get it. Um, it's available if they go onto our website, which is either ValerieGilper.com or EmilyGroden.com. There's a list of uh, uh, booksellers. You can also um, get it. You know, every, everything's listed. Amazon's probably okay. the most reliable. Uh, okay. But the local booksellers have it. You can order through Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Um, for people in Los Angeles, Book Soup has it. Uh, Romans has it. So, yeah, yeah, all those different places. It's a must read. Must Thank read. You. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you both so much for your time. It, it means the world to me. And and hopefully we can stay in contact. And Emily, I can just email you when I have questions. <laughs> Oh, you can speak for Skylar for a little while for me. <laughs> oh, that would be great. And, you know, to anybody who's listening, we're open to answering any questions at any time. Uh, web, the emails are available on the website. Thank you. I would like that. Oh, that would be great. Um, 
Well, thank you guys again for your time. I appreciate it. And um, I will be in communication with you very soon, I'm sure. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.